we should. And on that note, folks, welcome to another episode of Not Another Film Podcast. This is the podcast where we take movies we used to love as kids and we re-examine them in the harsh, sobering light of 2021. And today, we are here fulfilling a promise to a listener who emailed us with a request. Her name is Nicole. Thank you so much for providing uh, this week's fodder. That's right, folks. We are doing the 1998 uh, classic for some people. I, d- I dare say to me. Ever After, colon, A Cinderella Story, mm-hmm. as it is uh, titled on Disney+. Plus. Yes, and in my heart. And in your heart. So if you have not seen Ever After, if you haven't seen it in a bit, if you want to watch before listening or any of that fun stuff, you can watch it on uh, Disney Plus right now, or you could rent it. Um... I can lend you one of my four DVD copies of this movie. You have four copies of this? Yeah, around somewhere, yeah. Where They're not in the apartment? In Florida, or... my childhood home. Was your childhood home just a shrine? Was it the Debar- the Debaranak? The fortress? Sometimes you lose the DVD, and then you buy another DVD, and then you find the one that you lost. And sometimes that happens four times. So, okay, so you've seen this movie multiple times. Countless times. Okay, so... Countless times. Is this one that you feel like you've got, like, memorized? Like, you've got whole bits of it? For a while, uh, I did have this movie memorized. Uh, it's been just long enough that this qualifies, like, for the podcast for me. That it it had been just long enough. Just that long I, enough. This movie came out in nineteen ninety eight. What are you doing? It had been just long enough since I had seen it last. So I think it's been. Let me see. I think it's been at least since. I think it's been at least eight years, probably, since I've seen this movie and like sat down and watched this movie. There's definitely been times where it's been on on TV, and I'll just turn it on in the background. Uh, because it is just sort of like that comforting, um, like, ambient noise for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of just sitting down and being like, all right, play it. I'm going to just turn the lights off and watch this movie, which I did when we watched it the other night. Um, it's been years. Gotcha. So it, it was just long enough that it felt, I felt all the beats hit me. Yeah, I... I did think that that was a, an ideal viewing experience. Like how we watched it the other night where we really like, we turned off the lights. We had like, we had gotten some snacks. We, yeah. we made like a whole thing of it. Yeah. And, I, and I really enjoyed myself. I think this would be a prime candidate for like, it became really trendy here in Chicago to rent out a movie theater and to like, yeah, because like one of the smaller movie theaters here, like get together with like 20 of your friends. And do that. And watch Ever After. No, I'm just saying, like, I think a lot of people had done that, but I think that Princess Bride has been really popular at those. And I think very similarly, this taps into that kind of same nostalgia comfort movie where it's like, let's turn off all the lights and have that experience. Yeah. No, I see that. Ever After is definitely the punk rock choice uh, to, to, <laughs> to the Princess Bride's uh, Olivia Rodrigo uh, top 40 hit. Um <laughs> you look so offended. I just got so confused by the, the metaphor. What are you? What is the tracking on this? I just feel like this movie is. You looked at me like I was insane. Okay, so can I explain why? Yes, please. All right, and I'm trying to not mince. I'm trying to not be be needlessly cruel to either of of these movies because, um, spoiler alert, I guess from the end of the pod, uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed this. And I did not think I was going to, because I have a very bad memory of this movie uh, as a young child. 
I just felt like Princess Bride is definitely the more out there of the two because it delves into supernatural stuff and fantasy elements. And this movie is a lot more grounded intentionally. I guess I just meant that like, I just it felt like that this that this movie, which feels so much more traditional in every way, is the like off kilter choice was just funny to me. No, purely because I think Princess Bride, like in in the like. Because they have similar tones and kind of similar... Similar um, nesting doll structures where you're talking to... The grandfather's talking to the brothers Grimm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, similar... Uh, I would say just like visual language. Like it's a very like storybook visuals. Um, and like similar scores that like in the head-to-head of history of movie history... Like Princess Bride has won. And, like, <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. And so I was just saying, like, I think the classic choice is to go for something like Princess Bride that everyone watches like three times a year to go see it in the movie theaters. And then if you want a movie where it's been longer since you've seen it and it's kind of left your brain, I think sometimes going to see these movies is great in movie theaters and then they re-release. But also, like, sometimes I'm like, I've seen this movie a million times. It's not that different. Sure. And I want a movie that I have a, um, like, a strong emotional nostalgic connection to but one that i don't watch constantly and so if i'm looking to scratch that itch with like a movie like princess bride but not one that i watch every like three months like princess bride i'm gonna go to ever after before you'd go to like Dragonheart. yeah hundred percent so are you are you saying that you're officially are you right now on the podcast declaring you are done with the princess bride you'll never watch it again Absolutely not. I literally just said I watch it every like two to three months. <laughs> it, I'm just never going to be a time in my life. If someone's like, let's turn on Princess Bride. I'm not going to be like, no, fuck that movie. There's maybe not a movie that has been out of theaters more, like longer that I've seen in theaters more than The Princess Bride. Yeah. I think I've seen that movie in theaters like Except five or I'm six times. I'm just saying, expand your repertoire, people. Sure. Watch other movies. But this is a great alternative. So talk, That's all I'm saying. Talk me through the first time you saw this. I don't even remember the first time I've seen this. This, this movie's is, in your bones. This movie has... In the bones I feel their like I can't remember a time that I hadn't seen this movie. Okay. Like, this movie, I'm just like, as soon as I... I can't remember the first time I watched this movie because it's just, like, been there forever. Did you fancy yourself a real Danielle? Yeah, 100%. Or were you a Jacqueline? No, no one's going to, like... Or a Marge... What was the third one's name? Marjorie? I don't, I don't remember. Yes, I think so. Miriam? That sounds right, yes. No, it had to be more French than that. Martinique? I don't know. They're all French names. It's confusing. You're not Danielle. You're the other ones. Yeah, you're Melanie Linsky or you're Megan Dodds. Exactly. <laughs> and these days I'm just like, Melanie Linsky. Marguerite. Marguerite. Marguerite, that's yes. her name. Mm-hmm. Um, see, I, I took notes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I so, okay... This movie came out, I was seven years old, mm-hmm. and my... I was five. Yeah. And my mom and sister, I remember going to see it in theaters, and holy shit, I hated this movie. Hmm. I I have had a grudge against this movie until two days ago. I remember it. I had a grudge against, against me. you for <laughs> hating this movie. That makes sense. I yeah. would hate me too. This movie like, that's not fair. It was a lot of needless hate being thrown at this movie when in reality what it was, and we've discussed this on the pod before, so this is not new to anyone unless you decided to jump in on Ever After a Cinderella story. Um, the super fans, hit me up. Let's form a club. Yeah. But again, this was one of those movies that I um, 
that my sister really wanted to see. And I remember even before seeing it, there was such a, uh, a pressure on like, I can't like this movie. This is a girl's movie. Yeah. Uh, and uh, terrible like gender norms and societal pressure that I, as a, as a young man, as a, as a portly little seven year old, mm-hmm. <laughs> couldn't think for himself had to be like, fuck yeah, monkey bone, but fuck you ever after. <laughs> yeah. Which, which obviously, uh, just does not, like, does not age well. And, and also deprives young men from, from seeing movies like this that, that are actually really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like, the, re-watching it the other night, I was shocked. I was like, this movie's very funny. Mm-hmm. It's directed well. Mm-hmm. There's really good chemistry mm-hmm. uh, between the two leads. Uh, I'm a big old Drew Barrymore fan. I've been a big old Drew Barrymore fan for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yeah, I just really, really had a good time with it. Yeah, and I think one thing that this movie does that I always like point to where, where people talk about like, oh, it's a girl's movie, so I can't like it because I'm a boy. Where it's like, I think this movie is a great example of that thing that I keep coming back to on when people bring up that point, which is that girl movies like this do still go out of their way to give the male characters journeys. Mm-hmm. Like, the prince still has a full character arc in this movie. Whereas, like, when movies are boy movies, it kind of feels like girls are just there because, like, we have to fucking throw a girl in. Sure. Where it's like, I feel like it's, I don't know, I always just feel like these movies make the effort to include boys in the story in a way that I didn't feel included in kind of boys' movies. And so it's just kind of, like, always frustrating where it's like, but you're part of this too, so, like, you're welcome in these movies. Yeah, I got, I got problems with that but like we'll talk about that later when we talk about the specifics behind henry behind the prince yeah but he does have a full character arc oh absolutely yeah absolutely and i think just to give a full disclosure there are no such thing as like girl movie guy like this is all bullshit like bullshit societal gender norms that were that were put in my dumb mind from things that i perceived outside of myself Mm mm-hmm uh, but this movie's thoroughly enjoyable, and, uh, yeah. If you're a young dude, go watch it. Expand your horizons. Watch more movies like this. Um, were you a fan? We talked about this a little bit on the Cinderella episode, the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella episode, but just, again, for, I guess, the people that uh, may not have heard that. Are you a fan of the Cinderella story? No. Any iteration of it? This iteration of it. More so than the Brandy version? Because this got to me earlier. Okay. Like, for the longest time of my life, I was like, this is the only Cinderella adaptation I like. Okay. Gotcha. Like, this was the definitive to me. Where it was like, people, I feel like also, like, when the new Cinderella came out, um, with, uh, Lily James, Lily James, um, it was like, okay, old Disney Cinderella versus new Disney Cinderella. And I was firmly like, neither, ever after. (laughs) Uh, and now I'm like, no, neither, ever after and Brandy. Like, there's, <laughs> I'm like, still neither, but like, there's two other good options now. So go to them. Do Are the mice in the Kenneth Branagh one? No fucking clue. I watched that movie, can't remember. Couldn't tell you. I didn't see it. I've had no interest Couldn't in seeing tell you. it. But. I, I, if I had to bet, I would say yes. But. They're actual mice, and they're just sort of, like, there. They're not, like, ratatouilleing around? They're not, no. like, making up stew no. for people to munch no, on? No, they're, like, realistic mice. <laughs> See? Okay, and this is my problem. This is why this movie succeeds, okay? But but let's use that as a jumping off uh-huh, point. Uh-huh. This movie succeeds on, 
as in an interesting and compelling retelling of this story because it does not it firmly establishes like we are going to do a more grounded story. We're not going to have fantastical elements mm-hmm. as a part of it. Yeah, it's kind of why when the new Cinderella happened, they were like, "Oh, we're really grounding it, and we're giving like the prince a journey, and we're giving like Cinderella a more like modern sensibility." I was like, "You literally like ever after exists." It's like uh, it's literally also like, you are like that has already happened. It's on Disney Plus. Like we, you already nailed it. They, like, even have, like, a similar meeting in the new Cinderella. And I'm just like, you fucking remade Ever After. Stop pretending that, like... I'm also like, yo, yo you got a fairy godmother in this movie that turns a pumpkin into a carriage. Stop pretending like your movie's realistic. Nah. Just embrace the fantasy. Nah, just make it Leonardo da Vinci and call it a day. That was wild. That shit was awesome. <laughs> he so took, he's Leonardo da Vinci as a character. He took apart the door from the opposite side. He's a genius. <sighs> Yeah. Going on his history in history is the man who opened a door. He's fucking awesome. He's rad as shit. Yeah, that is great. Um, but yeah, so I love I, I really enjoyed that element to this movie that this this was very much like <laughs> I think I explained it to you yesterday as it felt like the the Cinderella equivalent of the uh, the untold story of the three little pigs. That's mm-hmm. the story of the three little pigs told from the wolf's perspective, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Um, because it does it tries to really ground the story of Cinderella. A, in a nesting story where you get this old lady who's got the gem of the ocean around her neck and the brothers Grimm are coming to say what up. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's well, like... she's like the queen. She's the queen. She's like, hey, you guys write great stories. I'm a mm-hmm. real big fan. She's like about to die, right? Am I making that no, up? No, she's just old. And like what, what happened is that basically there has been this like... As, as it becomes with most like urban legends or like folk tales... There's been this kind of, like, historical game of, like, telephone that's happened as a story's gotten told through the generations. And it has gotten diluted down to the Cinderella story that the the Brothers Grimm have written. And so she's saying, like, I have the original story, like, oral storytelling tradition. I, because it was my family, it was my, like, ancestor, and I'm going to tell you how it actually happened. And like, t- and like, and none of the fantastical elements are there, but this is what happened. Just like people, yeah. Like the rom- it's it's in the romance of just everyday people. Yeah, and and so the brothers Grimm, who have mm-hmm. no lines in this movie, as they shouldn't. Yeah. By men, <laughs> we don't need more men having lines. By also, fun fact: brothers Grimm, not played by Heath Ledger and Matt Damon. I wish. But uh, alas, <laughs> from future podcast movie on this podcast, I the swear Brothers to God, Grimm. if you like the Brothers Grimm more than you like Ever After, I'm never speaking to you again. Big fan of Terry Gilliam. Uh, Same. His, his movies, not his politics. Um, but uh, yeah, the, no, it's um, they're telling the story. Oh wait, we should probably go into the, who fucking wrote and directed this movie. Go for it, please. Right. You know all the knowledge. This movie. You know the knowledge. I'm, I, an, I'm an intellectual. I know the knowledge. <laughs> So this movie was directed by a gentleman by the name of Andy Tennant. Mm. We live in a twilight world, baby. Mm. Um, Tennant. Who went on to direct. So this was like one of his first major movies. But then, holy shit, man. This is a rogues gallery of movies that we need to do on this podcast. Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, boy. Hitch. Oh. Fool's Gold. Oh. And seven episodes of The Kaminsky Method. Oh. (laughs) 
show that I've seen zero frames of and I'm not convinced exists. Which I'm... It's a con. I'm fully convinced that the Kaminsky method is just an offshoot of Grace and Frankie. Tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) It has to be a shared universe situation. Yeah. Um, And then it was written, co-written by uh, Andy Tennant and Rick Parks, who I'm assuming came in and did the polish up on the script um, after the original draft, which was written by Susanna Grant... Mm. who, holy crap, her career, Mm. began writing the 1995 animated Disney film Pocahontas. Mm. Later went on, after Ever After, to write Aaron Brockovich, 28 Days, the uh, uh, Sandra Bullock getting sober comedy, I guess, Charlotte's Web, the 2006 remake, The Soloist... Starring Robert Downey Jr. and Jamie Foxx. And then a TV show from a couple years ago that we both really enjoyed and will never watch again called Unbelievable. Oh. Yeah, with Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver and uh, Caitlin Deaver. That was great yeah. and very upsetting. Very upsetting, but a really, really terrific show. She was the creator of. Wow. Um, so, yeah. Damn, what a career. Susanna Grant. MVP. Truly can do it all. Yeah. Um, So now, like we said, we are in this nesting doll structure. Uh, The Grand Dom is telling the story uh, to the Brothers Grimm. (laughs) can't believe the Brothers Grimm were in this fucking movie. Um, I just like to imagine the Brothers Grimm were, like, called there. They were like, I have no clue. Are we being executed right now? Because we wrote some, like, heresy and, and like, the gingerbread man story or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Instead, it's just this old bitty that's like, you think you know my life story, bitch? Let me tell you my real life story. Okay, so it starts out with my great-great-great-great-grandmother. Her name is Danielle. I call her Danny. Uh, Danny lives at uh, this big old house in the woods with her father. Uh-huh. Uh, and what's her dad like? Talk to me about her dad. Her dad is fucking awesome. Cool. He's in this movie for three minutes. Tell me how he's awesome. He's great. He loves his daughter so much. He like, does. He's he a really good dad. does. He's definitely like my daughter's first. He has a new wife, but he obviously like he's obviously raised her. Holy shit! He alone. does some like, of the most cold blooded shit in like two minutes. I, I understand it. Um, so he he has to travel a lot, but he always comes back and he brings Danielle books. What's his job? We don't know. He's like a noble of some kind, I guess. He's got to have a title. He's got to have a title. It's very unclear because obviously the stepmother would not have married him unless he had a title. But then Danielle does not have a title. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is unclear whether that title passes to his wife and then Danielle is not given a title. I think that might be what happens is that yeah, this, it was his title and not her mother's title is it a patriarchal lineage thing where it's like it would have passed to his son if he had a son but since he had a girl it doesn't possibly I, yes i'm I'm again i'm not and trying to make a depend joke on her to marry well like she would yeah. have to marry well and she'd have to be like the family would have to take care of her and make sure that she marries well but obviously her stepmother is not doing that or it's a situation again i would have to do research and i'm not educated enough to know this Either that or, like, her, her her dad is of nobility, but her mom was a commoner. And therefore, like, that dilutes her status. So she's a mudblood, is what you're saying. I would never use that term. Well, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so her dad must have some sort of title. Um, listeners, let us know about French aristocracy. Does anybody know about 15th century French, French sociopolitics? Arist- <laughs> um, but at the, at the bottom line is her dad is obviously wealthy. He has um, married this um, 
another woman who has who has a title and brought her home with her two daughters. It's Cinderella, you get it. Um, but her dad um, is big on her being educated and like forward thinking and um, gives her a copy of Utopia. Yeah, obviously loves her very, very much, has raised her by himself and he's he's awesome. Um, and then he so, dies like immediately. I was going to say, he's so awesome that he, you know yeah. he is not long oh, for this world. Oh, you know he is dead right away. Um, yeah, he dies like the next day. This man shows up with a eulogy attached to him. <laughs> like, he's just like, by the way, when I die in the next scene. Yeah. And then he like falls off his horse and is like, oh shit, I knew I should have written a will. Like, so, oh my God, this was so funny. Because he like straight up leaves her nothing. He's like, I trust that Angelica Houston has the best of intentions no. and will treat my daughter well. <laughs> nah, dude, see how much eye makeup she wears? I wouldn't trust her around my kid at all. Nah, she's not going to do shit for you. I love that when Angelica Houston shows up and she shows up obviously with her two daughters, Marguerite and Jacqueline, there's a story there about where the father is. Uh, but when they show up, these kids arrive fully formed personality wise oh, and yeah. i love it they when do movies not change do this. at all yeah it's like oh no you are literally just an eight-year-old version of the character we're about to spend the next two hours down with. to the color scheme of their dresses yeah oh i loved it i thought it was great um but the dad, <laughs> the dad takes off he's like yeah i'll be gone for a week don't worry about it and danielle mm-hmm. is like you know, we got to see him off, whatever. You got to, you know, he's going to wave at the gate. It's going to be beautiful. He jumps up on to the horse, feels mm. his left arm, a little bit of a twinge. Yeah, I would like to point out to the listeners that Ian really thought that he had been poisoned by Angelica Houston. I was, And I was like, Ian, I cannot emphasize enough that that is not part of the plot. When you haven't seen a movie <laughs> in... 23 years. Like, Ian, that would add a completely different subtext onto the entire rest of the movie you're about to see that you're not ready for. I was also firmly convinced there are, like, images from this movie that stuck in my brain. The image of Drew Barrymore swimming in the creek mm-hmm. was burned in my brain and I could have sworn that she was there with the prince. And she wasn't. No. But I was like, so there are just images from this movie that I'm like, yeah, I remember that. This crazy thing surrounded that. And you'd be like, no but be like no it's actually remarkably straightforward so i was like yeah so he dies because she poisoned him so that she could get his land but now she's got this daughter around i don't know and it's like no he just had a heart attack it's like ian there are parts of this movie that are ridiculously convoluted that's not one of them no he just died he just has a heart attack and dies he falls to the ground drew barrymore um danielle uh, runs after him, as does Angelica Houston, and they both are with him when he dies. Oh my and, god. And you need to see the inciting incident for Angelica Houston's entire, like, the villainy of the entire rest of the film. Um, which is that in his last moments, he turns to Danielle and chooses to spend his last moments telling her that he loves him. Well, rather than his new wife of, like, one day. Yeah. I'll say this. He does say I love you twice. But he says it kind of to the air. Mm-hmm. And then he just zeroes in on Danielle and he goes, I love you. Yeah. So, I don't know. If you had enough breath to say I love you twice, you could have done like, love you, I love you. And mm-hmm. like, left her to think about like, what's the difference between you and you? Is that just like a... Is- yeah, but also like, she's his... I, I don't know. She's his daughter. So I think that like that takes precedence oh i'm like i'm saying it generally it's a thing of like i'm saying it generally 
and then nope you're my daughter I need you to look I need to look into your eyes if I can only look into one person's eyes and tell them that I love them before I die it's gonna be my daughter fat lot of good that did he just cursed his daughter to yeah. years of servitude yeah little did he know that is truly the worst thing you could have done sorry um, it turns out you married a monster like, yeah no I it really don't know how you didn't how you missed all those red flags but that's just a Cinderella is- issue no it's a it's a total mensch move on his part like it's a great yeah. like it's a really He's heartwarming a good dad move. beginning to truly end yeah <laughs> except for the fact that he did not leave a will um well because he was poisoned so <laughs> he wasn't aware he was gonna die he was, he like, was poisoned by mortality aren't we all <laughs> <laughs> he was poisoned by capitalism he had to get to work aren't we all just poisoned by the earth slowly over time in this bitch of a life sick payback it's called the <laughs> happening um anyway so cut for 10 years 10 years she's 18 now so it's cool to think she's hot <laughs> That's that's the Disney rule. It's Disney law. <laughs> you establish early on your character is eight years old so that you could say ten years later and all of the weird late 20-year-olds like us that are watching this movie can go, all right. Then go chill. It's not like the guy, like Ray Scott, uh, 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 Doug Ray Scott, who plays Henry, who shows up looking like a 45-year-old man. <laughs> and it's just, just like... Like Drew Barrymore has just. I'll allow it. I think he look. I think he looks thirties. But he's got the hair of a fucking eighteen His year old. Hair is luscious. You want to know who was in the running for this role? Oh, I would love to. I teased you with this the other day. Okay, so this is the prince. We're talking about the prince. We're talking about the prince. Ian teased me, and I was like, I I need to know. I need to know who else was in the running because I I I know nothing about like the trivia of this movie. Nineteen ninety eight. Two actors apparently turned this movie down. Okay. One of them. Yes is well-established by you around this time period as one of the most good-looking people to ever be on screen. What? Who? Ian, there are many good-looking men. Ian, Well, tell me. How often do you um, summer in 1950s Italy with your girlfriend Gwyneth Paltrow? What? (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry. This could have been played by Jude Law. It's supposed to be Jude Law. By 90s Jude Law. Pre-Dicky Jude Law. Oh my Imagine. god. Imagine. Oh my god. But, but, Oh but, my god. Unstoppably hot. But you would not have gotten that, like, th- I don't know. It's worth it for me for many reasons. One, I think that Doug, uh, Doug Ray Scott does a good job. He's in incredible. Movie. Like, like all of this. Preface, he's but he's the very fact good. That I think he's very, very good in this film. He's very good. It kind of looks like a deep fake of Gerard Butler, but he does look, he's, he's good in this movie. But <laughs> um, excuse me, Gerard Butler's deep fake of Doug Ray Scott. <laughs> Doug Ray Scott was there first. Shut the fuck up and have some respect. Good call. Good call. But I'm sorry. You don't get that, that image of like the first time you see Jude Law and he's emerging from the, from the, the Mediterranean Sea. He looks like a golden god. You think we couldn't have had both? We couldn't have had this and Ripley? No, I need to know that. I need Ripley to be the first time that I've ever seen Jude Law. Other actor. Boo, more Jude Law. Spread the wealth. Other actor. Yes. Who I think could have also done this. Would have been maybe a little bit too prickish, Hmm. but would have been fun. Johnny Lee Miller. Interesting. I think that would have been very good. I think it would have been great. I, actually, I think all three of those castings are really incredible castings. Yeah. That's one of the first times on this show that we've we've ever like listed multiple people and all of them. I've gone, yep, yep, and yep. Well, and this movie was, I mean, it was sold as a Drew Barrymore vehicle. That was how it mm-hmm. got made. Because at this point in time, Drew Barrymore was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, just um, like she had, you know, to the point where she was in one scene of Scream. 
Oh, by the way, welcome to the Not Another Film Podcast Hall yeah. of Fame, Drew Barrymore. Nice. Welcome. Love you, girl. We'll get to Charlie's Angels soon. <laughs> oh, uh, we will. <laughs> full throttle. But, uh, Maybe a little less nice on that one. <laughs> <laughs> from you. <laughs> Not a big Tom Green fan, are you? No, I'm um, all about Lucy Liu. She's my fave on that movie. Um. Anyway, yeah, sold as a Drew Barrymore vehicle for Danielle and is apparently the uh, favorite movie that she's ever made. Oh, good for her. Yeah. Um, we also have Angelica Houston, obviously, as the stepmother. Legend. Which, uh, like, Truly a legend. Do you legend. want to just dive in on Angelica Houston right she's now? She's fantastic. She is like one-liners left and right. She is like... She's unreal. She's so good. Her presence is incredible. She is like... The comedic beats are all incredibly hit. And she's bringing some really nice depth to the character in some of these latter scenes Mm -hmm. that I think were really well done. And, like, in no way is it this, like, easy, like, tragic backstory. Now I completely understand her and and her actions are justifiable. Like, no, she's still a bad person. (laughs) She's still definitely a bad person, but it's a more interesting type of bad person. It's always that thing where, like, you talk about villains where it's like, I don't ever need to, like, think that they're right, but I do need to understand where they're coming from. Sure. You know? It's like, it doesn't in any way justify it, but I do appreciate at least, like, acknowledging their point of view and why they've come to this point, why they've become the person that they are. Absolutely. But then, but, and I think this movie does it right, once that's happened... Like, once those first five minutes are done, mm-hmm. boom, stone cold monster well, for the rest of this some, movie. She has, like, some moments of, there's, like, a quiet moment with her and Danielle towards the end of the movie. Where, there's, where it seems almost like there's going to be a moment of connection, and then she cannot let herself reach out to another person. Oh, is this when the prince catfishes her? At the very end? No. No, it's, there's just, like, a very quiet moment at, like, the around the two-thirds mark. Um, and, and there, yeah, it's, it's one of those, like, nice moments of, like, you can see the pathway and, like, the, the arm being extended by Danielle of, like, maybe we can, like, sort of come to at least, like, a stasis. And there can be some level of, like, us being okay. And you can see her see the choice and choose to not become a better person. Like, I think there is something interesting in allowing your villain a moment of a moment where they can they could get off the train. Sure. There's a moment where you can get off the train. You can say, I've taken this too far. I'm going to do the bare minimum. And she doesn't take it. And I think that that's very important given how like kind of like matter of fact, the punishment for her is at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. It establishes that Danielle is a good person and that she's given her an out and she didn't take it. Mm-hmm. That is her choice. So her, her fate is in her hands. Yeah. I got big problems with the ending, with, with her fate in this movie. Really? You think she should have died? We'll get to it. <laughs> not, not enough, not n- too much. Ow, it's wrapped up in a larger theme that we're about to get to. All right. Um, all right. Well, then let's get to it. Well, let's talk about the, the, so the prince steals away in the middle of the night. Henry, yes. Henry. Henry steals away from his house in the middle of the night. Yeah. Away from his Republican parents. And... Mm-hmm. Because they're like, you've got to marry the princess of Spain. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't want to. I want to mm-hmm. I want to marry. For, he's not even like, I want to marry for love. He's just one of those dudes that has been so privileged his entire life mm-hmm. that he's immobile. 
And he just can't make a choice because to make one choice would cut him off from all of the choices he didn't make. He is a walking freshman philosophy paper. Yeah, his his entire journey in this movie is to pull his head out of his own ass. <laughs> I, I do like that journey yeah, a I lot. Yeah, like, I love that journey for him. It's like, yeah, no, get over your fucking self. It also like, makes sense because I do think a, a big portion of this movie uh, is a conversation about have versus have not mm-hmm. and privilege versus uh, uh, hard work and determination. Mm-hmm. And... And it's a conversation that that Danielle and Henry have point blank several times Mm -hmm. throughout this movie. That Uh, he is progressively more willing to engage with. Exactly. And I I almost think, again, that those conversations, for me, that those conversations are so well done and well written and well acted and directed and ground this Cinderella movie in such in, in such a way that when we get to some, some of the Cinderella plot machinations later on in the movie, it does like those moments don't sell quite as well for me. Hmm. Like my big problems with this movie come in like in the third act, mm. almost all of them, and it all has to do with a big thing, a big problem that I have with the story of Cinderella. I wonder if I can guess it. What is it? Is it that she's a passive protagonist? No. Interesting. No, not at all. I have a problem with I, every time I have seen Cinderella in any capacity, including the Brandy one, which I'm on record as loving, mm-hmm. that the climax of this movie happened. The climax of any Cinderella story I've ever seen happens at the ball at midnight. Everything else after that feels like the longest denouement of any story where I know where it's going and it just never feels interesting to me. That's why I like it in the Brandy version because at least I'm getting Bernadette Peters shenanigans. Hmm. But in this in this one, it's fine. But the prince backslides so far mm-hmm. when he finds out that Danielle is a commoner and sh- that she's not this comtesse. Uh, mm-hmm. Dylan Cray. Yeah, Dylan Cray, thank you. That that it it just kind of goes like I know that he's gonna get over it and he's gonna end up marry her and it's gonna be fine. But I'm looking now I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, we have thirty minutes of getting to a station that I know we're getting to. Yeah, I mean I think that that is an issue with every retelling of any type of like legend or, yeah, no, or but folk that, tale or anything um, like that. Well, and I agree, and I, I'm prefacing it with like I know that this is a made up problem, and it's not a problem that a lot of like there are a lot of people who don't have that problem with other stories, and there are certain stories that I don't have that problem with. I have seen Romeo and Juliet a hundred times, a mm-hmm. hundred different ways. I know where that story's going, and yet I have a really fun time wondering, oh, how are they gonna do? You know, the Banished scene. How are they going to do Juliet, like, wondering if she should take the poison or not? Or, you know, the... Mm-hmm. But for some reason in the story of Cinderella, that denouement of, like, what happens with the slipper and the search for the real Cinderella and, like, and, and the prince realizing, you know, in this version, uh, oh, I've got to change my ways to be worthy of someone like Danielle. Like, I just never find it that interesting. Hmm. And they, the conversations that they're having at this point in the movie, when they when they meet, she's like chucks apples at him when they first meet. They have a real meet cute these two. Mm-hmm. Um, that that I'm just kind of like, but you already both seemed so much smart. Specifically, him, he seemed so much at least smarter and more willing 
to be challenged for the first hour and a half of this movie that the way he's written in the last half hour is just like, you're just like boringly stupid. Hmm. But that was just me. That's just me. I disagree. Okay. Um. Cool. Disagree. Let's I think I'm trying it. to think of where to start. Um. I disagree because I think, and I, I know that you, you know, this is all down to like personal levels of interest and investment in the story. And it could also be like that, you know, that initial stage of like Romeo and Juliet is something that's more personal to you than the story of Cinderella as well as me. But I do think that there is something about this movie um, that is unique with these like fairy tales um, for the time in that it is it is going through all the beats, but it is shifting some interesting um, fundamental uh, like foundational stuff about the story. Because, I mean, like you said, the, like there is a climax at the at the ball at midnight. But that climax is always like, oh, the time is over, I have to run away. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, the climax is like, that is the time she needs to be there. She has been there, and that he is the one that drives her away. She is not running away. She is coming there of her own volition, and he is the one that pushes her away. Um, and like, I do think there is something that, like, in the 90s, especially about a movie like this that was very subversive about the fact that we're going to do the ending... And it is trying to create a climax with her and this, like, Le Pew character. Um, Holy shit, we gotta talk about yeah. Richard O'Brien. And is trying to be subversive and, and, like, is trying to be feminist in a very 90s way of having the classic rescue be her rescuing herself. Which, okay, like, Which, like in that. the moment, is, like, it, especially in the 90s, was a very big deal. and was a very big deal to me as a young girl looking at a fairy tale. And seeing one of these kind of, like, earlier versions of, like, a classic fairy tale where the big deal is, like, like, I think the moment where, like, the bandits come and she saves him by by pulling the move of, like, you can take anything you can carry and throwing him over her shoulder. And, like... Apparently a historically accurate story. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's one of the few things I know about, like, the trivia of this movie is that that's, that's historically accurate. And then the end, the climax of the movie technically... Technically, I know that it feels like the Cinderella story is the the running away and the rest is denouement, but they have created this second climax mm-hmm. in setting up all of this where he is realizing who she, where she is. He is realizing that there's a ticking clock. He is realizing, like, there is a chase scene of him going to rescue her and then arriving at, like, the wrong place and realizing, like, she has to do it herself. And so I think that that is, like, creating a fundamentally different protagonist in this version of Cinderella that is creating a, my issue with Cinderella has always been that it, she is a passive protagonist. And I think that is an, an attempt to take <clears throat> this character and to give her that inner strength and to give her that, that propulsion and that, um, and to have her create her own journey that like, whether he shows up or not at the end, she's going to be fine because she did it herself. It's not up to him. They are on parallel journeys, but, but her journey is not dependent on anything he does. And I, I really like that. Um, and I, I buy the backsliding from him all because, like, that stuff that she called him out on earlier in the movie. As, like, yeah, no, you care right now because I'm telling you you should care about this guy because I'm ta- talking about all this inequality and how, you sh- how this guy didn't do anything wrong. But you didn't look at anyone else up there. You're still self-centered. And you're still, in that moment, thinking more about your own particular betrayal of my having lied to you than thinking about any other people outside of yourself. And that his climax is 
getting over that within himself. And I think there is something too in a character journey, having one last big backslide before you can truly get over yourself and come to, to a point of growth. Sure. And, and that part of growth is reckoning with your own personal failures and when you let yourself down from not growing in the moment that you needed to. So I think that like, I buy all of that and I really like it. <laughs> so that's my, that is my, that's, that's my ref, refutation. Let of, me into college. <laughs> of Ian disliking all those things and me saying they're good actually. Uh, so I want to, I want to address a couple things that you said in there. Please. Because I agree with you. I think the thing that makes this movie work more than almost any other version of Cinderella I've seen. Mm-hmm is the fact that she is an active protagonist Mm -hmm. is the fact that I think Danielle that like what you said, like the story with LePew with Richard O'Brien, who plays this of Rocky horror picture show fame, this grotesque fucking Skellington of a man. He's just a go. He's a walking goatee. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, this man who's like obsessed with Danielle and wants to marry her. And at the end, she does gets, not want to marry her. Or, yeah, he wants to like enslave her. It's wild. It is, and like he wants to dominate over. It's a whole thing. Um, but she frees herself from the bondage of Richard O'Brien, mm-hmm. uh, and she rolls a sick intimidate check. It's great. Um, and eventually, and while this is happening, the prince has realized he's made a big bonehead mistake, and he's got to go save her. But oopsie daisy, she doesn't need to be saved because she did it herself. I love that stuff. That stuff is great. And I do think for 1998 is like, you you don't see this. Like we had not seen something mm-hmm. like this really. Again, my problem is not necessarily that I think it's like unrealistic or it's not, it doesn't serve the story or whatever. I get how all of the, and that's why this movie is like at its core, it is a very well-made movie. A leads to B all the time. These character motivations make sense. His backslide makes sense. I just find that type of backslide and the way in which it was happening, you know, you could spin it in a positive light and call it traditional Mm -hmm. that you see a character like that backslide in that way where, you know, he's like, nope, you're a commoner and I don't associate with commoners because I'm a rich man and blah, blah, blah. There was just watching and I was just kind of like, this, this feels like it lacks some of the nuance that I've been seeing. And maybe that's the point. I don't think it lacks nuance, though. I'm, I'm specifically talking about his reaction and reasoning there. But his reaction, what he, I think it's like, it is text versus subtext. What he is saying there is not the reason that he's reacting that way. What he is saying like there is like, oh, because you're a commoner, don't talk to me that way. But the subtext is, I got lied to, I'm embarrassed. And therefore, like, that's all that matters is no, my I, particular ego. I get that. Again, I just find that at this point, maybe it's just, maybe in 1998 and I'm not giving it, I'm giving, like, looking at it from the perspective of someone in 2021 mm-hmm. who's seen a bunch of movies like this. I'm just like, cool. I've seen this done this way in a bunch of other movies before. Maybe not mm-hmm. Cinderella movies. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like, okay, cool. What next? Can we, can we, let, let's get this party going. See, and I feel like I've seen the version of this story where it's like, we can't be together because of our class differences. Where it's like, I appreciate that this is much more about his feelings about that. About inequality and about responsibility, the responsibility that comes with privilege. And like, and his mishandling of that privilege in that moment. And like, 
that his entire journey, again, I think what's interesting about their two journeys is that, yes, they, there is a romance between the two of them, but ultimately they are on their own separate journeys that just kind of converge at a few times. And so, like, for me, I don't think that that moment is this, like, classic paint-by-numbers, like, we can't be together because, like, class differences. I think it is, like, a culminating event of It's more him. personal. Yeah, it is personal. And so, like, I do think that there is something to be said for, like, I will always prefer a narrative that is about, like, internal conflict that is externalized for us because it is a, like, film medium. I do think there is something to, like, I don't know. I just feel like I've seen so many versions where it's all about external circumstances of why characters can't be together, which I think is the classic Cinderella story and is, like, the, the like, more traditional version that you're talking about. But I, I do think that this movie is grappling with something deeper than that. And I, I just like, I'm more interested in that. And I, I, it's one thing that I really took out of this viewing of it, that it is more about this, like, that there is a very contemporary idea of like, I am a privileged person. And so what are my responsibilities as a privileged person to the world and to people who do not have as much? And like, do I only care about like less privileged people who are in front of me? Or, and can I make myself care about everyone? And like, can I, can I accept that as part of my identity is that responsibility? And I think that that does come across in that moment because it is a shirking of responsibility in that moment. Cool. No, we, but I, I, everything you're saying, I agree with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I, at that point in the Cinderella story, I can smell the ending and I'm just waiting for the ending. Okay. And instead I was looking at it and I'm like, we've got 30 minutes left. Jesus Christ. Okay. I didn't feel that way. No, and that's fine. That's that's ultimately where it is. I think what you're saying is absolutely right, though. I think that's the then that's the thing that I think makes this movie a lot like age very well. I think is the fact that it it does feel so relevant to that conversation about privilege that we are in the midst of in 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 this country, finally. Um, but I do think that his the 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 conversations that they're having, especially when she talks about. Uh, the fact that like a thief is like is a, is born a thief and they have nothing that they can do about it. Yeah, or that like you buy like basically she's just like abolish the prison system. Yeah, she gives this incredible speech where she's just like, yeah, you've made like you've like you know the system that we have in our country makes it so that if you're born poor and you and you're you have being, no other way of life to go to, and you're being told constantly that you'll never achieve anything other than that. You're going to think that you're you are going to think that stealing is a valid option, and yeah. that's what your life's going to turn into. Or so if if you the government and you and us the larger society close off every single other road to people, they're going to go to the one road that's left, which is the one where you can say like we were right about you. Yeah. So I think I think those conversations happening in in a 1998 cinderella movie mm -hmm. are fucking awesome and it's it's the fact that we do get this incredible kind of like fuck abolish the prison system speech from danielle like 20 minutes into this movie that it's bonkers that this movie ends with them just being like yeah put the stepmother in prison and danielle's like i guess i'm cool with prison now as long as my stepmother's there mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the that's the reason why that ending i'm just like mm -hmm. what that seems kind of like she's like Throwing away the morals that she expressed at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Couldn't we have found a more creative way of punishing them? Yeah. But, like, put them in the stocks. Let's throw some fucking tomets at them. Like, That's not prison? It's not. I, hardcore embarrassment is not prison. I mean, it's still, like... A prison of their own making? 
I mean, it's still technically like being in prison. Trap like, them in a have... mind palace or something. <laughs> I don't think that that technology was invented. They should have to do a crossword challenge invented. against Leonardo da Vinci every single day <laughs> and lose terribly. And then they publish it in, for like the town square or something. Yeah. Like embarrass them every I day. I think what we are, what... Uh, How I think, would you want to embarrass the stepmother? How would you punish the stepmother? I think what we were meant to take from it, and maybe I'm I'm giving this movie too much credit, um, but what I've been led to believe is that, like, it's not necessarily an indentured servitude situation. It's that, like, we have seized all of your land and properties and money. And just, like, we're going to make you poor. Like, we're going to take your money away. If you have insane privilege and insane wealth and you use that to abuse people that work for you and people who's like who are under your care, you don't get to have that privilege anymore, which I kind of think should ideally be the situation. Oh. Where it's like, you don't get to be, like, I do think it's like, yeah, no, if you fucking, like, uh, like abuse your workers, you don't get to be a billionaire anymore. Like, hashtag guillotine. Um, no, sure. I'm... But, like, and, I, so, and so, like, that undercurrent of it, I do really enjoy. I just, like, think for 1998, there's really no, like, subtle, like, way to do it. We're in the end game. We gotta, like, show this shorthand somehow. So, like, yeah, I get so, like, it. we do have to literalize, like, Oh, and I do think there is something really inter- like good symbolically about like I gave you a chance is like so what you did to me I'm not going to like do anything worse to you than you did to me. So it's like purely karmically like this is what you deserve. Yeah, I and just like I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to throw you in prison, but I am going to make you poor and give you no resources and you're going to have to like be like I think it's there's something too. Just like if you're gonna fucking mistreat your McDonald's workers, you're gonna have to fucking work as a, like for minimum wage for a bit and live off of that and see how you fucking like it, undercover boss bitch. Like fuck you, Jesus. <laughs> like I think it's just like yeah, no, fuck you. If you like look down on all these service workers, you should have to be a fucking service worker. Hundred percent. Fuck you. Like fuck you. so, I think there is something to that of like have some fucking respect for the people who have been working for you forever. No, I agree. I just don't think I redistribute think... their wealth to all the people who have been working the land all this time and let them own the house. <laughs> I just think it, it ends in a place where, for me, I guess, it still felt like that lifestyle was was treated at the end like a punchline rather yeah. than a moment where they could learn from the experience. Yeah, I yeah, I totally get that. And I think it's just one of those things where like, Hollywood movie they don't have the time to go into the nuance there no no we have the we have the time for a spoiled rich baby to go on a rant about how like you know she wronged him. we don't have the time to actually treat the mm-hmm. the, the the class system yeah. of 15th century France with the nuance that the conversations the movie yeah, is having yeah it's hard to have the, the like the nuance of like <laughs> of like billionaire who now has to work like at McDonald's while also being like but working at McDonald's has its dignity and deserves a living wage you know like instead it's just like billionaire working at McDonald's like this sucks anyone who works here is a freaking idiot except for the people that are like I was born into this lifestyle I had no fucking choice I'm like, glad I'm an extra in this shot bye yeah but it's also like but we also deserve a living wage so like fuck you so it's like yeah no, the laundry workers should unionize like i just think they should yeah uh-huh. they should or splash around in that purple water yeah but, <laughs> seems fun i always um, thought that that water i was like i wonder if that tastes like grape 
Uh, but so she. Made, I always thought about that. That's it's probably soap. It's, I know, but in like kid brain was just like, oh, purple. That means was that why you grape. got like multicolored soap? Because <laughs> you were like, this is grape flavored soap. Yeah, maybe. Gross. I would not like to answer that question. Oh, did you eat soap? <laughs> no, I did not. I've never eaten soap. I would like to say, but I did think about that a lot. Or I was just like, you thought about eating soap? No, I didn't think about eating soap. I just saw the purple water and was like. Wild shit. Probably tastes like grape. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like fun. I don't know. Um. So, Henry and uh, Danielle go on this. Uh, they have all of these great conversations. We've and, spoiled like the whole movie. Yeah, but uh, we're going out of order. I want to talk. She has about, to. Yeah, she has to pretend to be. Uh, a Comtesse Nicole Delancre, which is her mother was Nicole Delancre, but she was not a, a countess, I believe, um, because one of the servants in the building has been basically sold uh, to, to pay off the debts of the, the stepmother. Yeah, who is, like, living this insane life lifestyle, but, like, secretly it, <laughs> selling all of the, their shit, selling all of um, Danielle's father's wealth off to, like, maintain their lifestyle, but then pretending that it has been stolen so that she by, can punish the servants. Yeah, by the, and pretending that the servants are stealing it because, like, she just wants to keep up appearances. Honestly, not a bad racket. This, that shit is fucked up. Uh, it's yeah. evil genius level shit. It is shit. legit fucked up. Yeah, um, she's so, not a good person. So Danielle is um, is basically going to save one of the servants from being shipped off to the Americas in, like, indentured servitude. Honestly, dude, from 2021, you avoided it. Like, yeah. my God. <laughs> <laughs> like good for you Get out. um so uh danielle goes and because uh the prince i think gave her money because he was like passing through and and he stole a horse because he was doing his like my day off in the country i don't want to be a prince so he just like threw money at her was like this is for your horse and so they're using that money and her mom's dress and her mom's name to buy this man's freedom. And then she runs into the prince again. Second meet cute. This shit's wild, yeah. But this time she's in disguise, so shenanigans. Yeah. Um, and then they have that, that like, face-off scene where she talks about the prison system and how fucked it is. And he's like, yo, you hate me. I'm in love with you. Yeah, pretty much. She's <laughs> like, you're... Like, step on me. He's like, everything in my life has been easy except for you. So I guess I love you now. He's like, you're being mean to me? Fuck yes. Come back here. What is your name? I need a wife in two days. And you seem like the perfect candidate. Oh, yeah. Because at this point... You have so much disdain for me and that is ridiculously hot. At this point, the Burger King of France has told his son, like, if you... You don't have to marry... <laughs> he is dressed like the Burger King. Oh, my God. He's like... He's like <laughs> Look here, son, you don't have to marry the princess of Spain. If you want to, it'll be hilarious, but you don't have to. So you can marry whoever, but you gotta marry somebody. You just gotta let me know in, like, two days. You gotta let me know, please, like... I'm throwing a big ball. The prince is throwing a ball. And We're so, throwing a ball for Da Vinci. For Da Vinci, because Da Vinci's in town. Mm -hmm. Because this family is like, yeah, we're gonna, like, commission this homie to, like... He's an artist in residence, yeah. It's awesome. I love this shit. This shit's rad. This is cool. This da, Vinci's, da Vinci's a nice, chill dude. Yeah, they were, they were talking about this on another podcast. This is essentially what Amazon did with hiring Barry Jenkins to like come on and do like the Underground Railroad. It's yeah. like, we're going to hire a genius to come in and create a piece of art. Good for them. Just so we can slap our name on it. Fuck you, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> fuck you. But I just feel like I need to take a second to say fuck off. Um, 
uh anyway but yeah so they <laughs> um they, they're having their whole falling in love shenanigans let's talk a little bit about the step siblings yes so we've got marguerite who's played by megan dodd who's just been like kind of a low-key that person for like i feel like she's played like the evil stepsister and everything and i can't tell if it's her or another actress that looks exactly like her yes it's like this type of british actress works so much She's incredible. She's great. She was in this other great movie that I, or I don't, it's probably not great, but it's a movie I want to do on this podcast called Bait mm. uh, that Jamie Foxx was in in like the year 2000. She was in a really good movie a couple of years ago called Juliet Naked with um, mm. Ethan Hawke and Rose Byrne. Uh, she's currently one of the leads on For All Mankind. Uh, mm. So, you know. Good for her. Good for her. Um, next we get, uh, and then the piece de resistance. We have Jacqueline mm-hmm. played by Melanie Linsky. Love her. She's awesome. Love her. She's such a wonderful actress. I love her little B-plot romance. She's great. And she's not perfect. Like, she still is definitely complicit. But she gets better. She also learns to, like, take an active role when you see, like, injustice happening. Um, And that's her arc. Even she gets her little arc. And she's rewarded by that with love in the end. Yeah. Um, like she starts complicit and then sees that things are wrong and backslides and like lets bad things happen to Danielle. But then in the end is like enough is enough. Like this isn't right. And you know, I'm proud of her. I'm really proud of of her at the end of this movie. Yeah. She's fantastic. She's, um, trying to remember what the name of the first. She gets a sick one liner against her mom. Oh my God. She's just, she just like has a lot of like great shit constantly in this film. Yeah. Um, she wears a horse hat to the masquerade and then her, like little, a G. her little love interest is also wearing a horse head and then they they neigh at each other over the snack table and honestly it's a mood i love them yeah she's uh, one of the co-leads in heavenly creatures mm-hmm. uh the peter jackson film in, uh from 1994 she's also one of the main voices on um over the garden wall yeah she plays beatrice in over the garden oh, wall she's so great in that she's incredible uh yeah a bunch of other shit on here um but I, I really like her subplot. She's also just an actress that I always love to see whenever she's on. She's just very, very fun. She has a really, really great couple scenes in uh, the last season of uh, Wet Hot American Summer, the mm-hmm. 10 years later, where her, her storyline is just so stupid and hilarious. I love it. But yeah, so we've got those two and they flesh out this world nicely. Do you want to talk about Da Vinci at all? Da Vinci's amazing. Yeah. Um, he's basically just like your cool uncle. He's the fairy godmother. Yeah, he's the fairy godmother in this movie. Um, he gets her ready for the for the dre- for the uh, the dance after the stepmother and Marguerite are like, "Look, we know that you are the Comtesse Nicole de Laricat. Delancret. Delancret. <laughs> we we know that you're Nicole John Laricat, mm-hmm. and we're gonna lock you in a room. Yeah. And meanwhile, the servants of this house are like, we don't know how to unlock a door. We never learned. So let's get Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci here. He's going to have to take off this entire door like the way a good superintendent knows how to do. Yeah. And he just <laughs> takes the bolts off the door. And he's like, I he guess goes, I'm a genius. He goes at it from the other side. And they're like, you're a genius. And he has that amazing line of like, I will go down his hit in history as, as a man, man who opened, opened a, a door. door. Awesome shit. He's great. He's just like bringing over his cool inventions to hang like every day. Um, he's basically just there and he makes friends with them. I like that basically the fairy godmother character in this version of the story um, functions as like a foil and as someone to talk to for um, the Cinderella figure and for um, 
the prince. And for the prince. Yeah. And for Henry. That he he even more for Henry, I would say, because he is he is the sounding board upon which like where he's the one that calls Henry out when Danielle's not there to call Henry out. Um, just to be because like, she's locked up in a house. Yeah, just to be like, you're a fucking idiot. Like someone needed to be there and just be like, Henry, you're being a fucking idiot, my guy. You're stupid. And then he's also there to to um, yeah, to also be there for Henry to be vulnerable to. He's just he's a really good like voice of reason in this in the scenario. He's just and he's also just like good like. Like, I don't know, he's just, like, good seasoning on the movie. That's, like, the word that keeps coming to her. It's just, like, I, I really am tickled every time he's on screen. He's this really gentle, he feels fun like, presence. He feels like the old man from Hunchback of Notre Dame that's, like, in the stocks. You know, <laughs> I'm free, I'm free, dang. Yeah. It feels like that, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a cool, it's a really, really cool seasoning. I like that mm-hmm. phrase for him. Yeah. Uh, that that he exists in this movie, and then of course, as we we mentioned before, that Angelica Houston does get to add a lot of levels to this. No nominations for this movie. I feel like in a, in a lesser year, she could have eked out a supporting actress nomination. She's for this. really great. She's fantastic in this movie. Yeah, I also think. Sorry to go back to Da Vinci, uh, really quickly. I think like he, the thing that I was trying to get to in my brain. Um, was that he functions as, like, the most progressive voice alongside Danielle in this movie in a completely different way. Like, he is also there, like, he represents the future and innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, on And, like, in the art world and in, like, invention. In science. And, like, and in science. And Danielle is there to, to push, like, Henry socially. Um, and they're both in there making him better and, and like, forcing him into the future. Because he's he's stuck in this like this sort of stasis mm-hmm. at the top of this movie, and they are there to just constantly remind him like be better. Yeah, the world is moving ahead. Meet the world at that. Be part of that, or get swept up in it and just be frozen forever. Mm-hmm. And that's a really sad place to live. Um, and I so I really appreciate that we have someone other than Danielle that is also pushing him along. Because then also you avoid the thing of like, oh, he only like. Listen. got better because he fell in love it's like no multiple people were there forming him and forcing him to be better like it truly is a team effort to like bring some people to the right side of things it's also smart to put a character like da vinci in this in that role because if anyone was still siding with henry after he mm-hmm. has his little boy blue tantrum like the fact that henry straight up at one point goes oh what do you know da vinci <laughs> And you're like, my guy. I'm like, I don't know how to tell you this. I don't know how to tell you that. Can you just like rewind that for yourself in your head? He's also got an unbelievably epic line when they're like, holy shit, you're Leonardo da Vinci. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, apparently Michelangelo is the first choice, but he's stuck under a ceiling. Yeah. Hilarious little bit. I loved him. it. I love him. Um, cool. Uh, I We got to talk about LaPew. Please do. Okay. As we've mentioned, he, he's a, he's a walking, he's a walking goatee. He comes in at he one point. He feels like he should be wearing a trench coat. Like he just always talks like, like this. Talks like this. I feel like I feel like Richard Roxborough got his entire character for the for the Duke from Moulin Rouge from this guy. A hundred percent, Ian. I'm so glad you've seen Ever After, so that now you get that. I do. Or just like just do everything. <laughs> ah. The evil Maharaja. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. At one point, she's like, he's like, oh, Danielle, why don't you come back to my estate? And she's like, 
And uh, do you want to do you want to try and do Drew Barrymore's accent? In this? I don't think I could if I tried. <laughs> That's we've, one thing that I'll admit. We've successfully like, it's avoided rough. it for an hour. It's rough. It's not good. <laughs> I love this film. I like five seconds into this movie, I was like, Ian, I know, I know, Ian. I love this movie anyway. Oh, she's trying. It's very far forward, but they're just like the, the ends of words just don't work. She's, she'll be really good for like two thirds of the word. And then the last third, you're like, nope, nope, you were almost there. Well, and when she gets, in, when she's impassionedly yeah. like, talking to them and yelling at people yeah. at the end of this movie, you're just like, nah, we're, you're from California. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's just like, uh, again, it is the California, I think, that holds her back from it. Oh, yeah. It still has that little, like, no. No. Well, are, yeah, are we talking because... La Pew now? No, <laughs> 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 see? <laughs> I'm from France, see? He also, at one point, he's like, I'm twice your age, and I'm very well endowed. <laughs> and you're like, this is a kid's movie. <laughs> this guy's like, look, I'm 36, I got a huge schlong, why wouldn't you want to fuck me? It's a weird move for a 16 pounds, soaking wet, Le Pew. Like, it is, it is a very dark turn that this movie takes. Like, like another Le Pew recently... This guy should be canceled immediately. <laughs> he will not, this character will also not be in Space Jam 2. He is a predator. Yeah, it's not good. Um, yeah, it gets very dark there at the end. The other big thing, like the one of the funniest moves that this movie pulls, because like we said at the end, Le, Le Pew buys Danielle. Uh, he's like, Look, I'll buy back all of the riches that the stepmother has gotten rid of, and I'll erase your debt, but you gotta give me Danielle, because I'm so weirdly obsessed with her. Mm -hmm. um, Danielle frees herself from Le Pew by threatening him with a sword, being like, I'm gonna cut your balls off. Again, and, and that intimidate giant... check. She rolls a nat 20 intimidate check. It's pretty rad. Um, gets him away, and then she's like, uh, they, uh, the, the prince and Danielle... Get back together like that mm -hmm. uh, very quickly. And then mm -hmm. we get the stepmother and the stepdaughters being invited to the palace. Yes. For something special. And yeah, like, we skipped a bunch of stuff in the middle, but you get it. You get it. It's Cinderella. Um, and they're like, oh, shit. I will circle back around for that dress that you were saying. Oh, go for it. Uh, I just want to get to this moment because I think it's hilarious. Where they catfish the yeah. uh, the stepmother. And they pull her there and she's like, well, you know, are you going to marry my daughter? And he's already in his like full on crown. They turn mm -hmm. around. Danielle's there also in a crown. And he's like, that's my wife. <laughs> and she's and this is where she punishes her to a life of servitude, because apparently that's a punishment now and not a noble profession that she was championing. Again, early. I think they just take <laughs> all their money away. And that's the only job that they can get. Well, the funniest thing that this movie does is it prioritizes humiliating the stepmother over showing us the wedding yeah. which i think is like if you my note just said if you need to know where the priorities of this movie lie yeah. <laughs> it's like it's more important for this stepmother who has been so evil to get her comeuppance it's more important than seeing the two main characters get married i do think I actually kind of like it. Oh, I love it. I actually really I love it. Because I really do think it should, like, specifically what you just said that you wrote down, the priorities of the movie. Mm -hmm. I think that it's like, it would feel, to me, redundant to see them get married because the important part of their relationship thus far has not necessarily been the romance. It has been 
them seeing each other as equals, as partners. Yeah. And I think that, that so much more important in that is the forgiveness of the previous scene. Can you imagine? Forgiveness. <laughs> I thought that all the time. Um, the Hamilton song. Great. Um, Do you want to talk about that dress? Yeah. Um. One second. I just think... Uh, yeah, I think that, one... The important scene is the is the scene of forgiveness and is of the reconciliation and them coming together as equals. And then them presenting in court as equals, I think is also important. Is that it's the important part is not that they're in love. That's kind of like a given. I think because also that's the thing, is like even when at the ball, when she appears and he like and she is revealed to have lied to him, the issue is not in that moment that they don't love each other. The issue is that she lied. Yeah. And the issue is that he doesn't is that he doesn't see her as an equal in that moment and he has trouble getting over his pride. And like that's already been done. We don't need to see like that they love each other again. We know they do. Mm-hmm. What we need to see is that now they're operating as equals and that he's deferring to her even. Yeah. But like in that moment he's like you don't need to talk to me. Talk to my wife. That's her. She's cool. the one that holds all the power in this situation. And that he's, like, totally chill with that. That was hilarious. Um, I, yeah, I want to talk about just, like, a few things. Because I love... I just want to say, like, I love the dress at the ball. Oh, I with love, the wings? Yes. Oh, and it's also beautiful. Like, and also, like, all of the makeup. She looks great. The glitter. It's beautiful. I also want to talk about the, the scene where they all... Just really quickly touch on my favorite scene in the movie. Which is where they all get robbed. And then she... It's the, the scene where she... It's the... Um, where basically they get robbed by a by a band of bandits. Yeah. And that, like, she basically just, like, They're again... A, ba- a band of Romanis that are called less than kind things in this movie. Yes, and that is not great, and that's why I'm not going to, like, perpetuate <laughs> that, because I feel like that's something that needs to change. Um, but the important thing is they're thieves, and, like, they're just kind of, like, a chill group of dudes. Um, and that basically she just, like, rolls another sick intimidate check... So much that they're just like, you know, a game recognized game. Do you want to come hang out with us? Yeah, they're essentially like, she, uh, they're like, you can take whatever you can carry. Because they're like impressed by like, that she's just willing to be like, I'll fucking stab you back. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like she just goes absolutely feral. And they're like, you know what? Fair. You can take whatever you can carry. And she's like, you fucking promise me? And they're like, yeah. And then she just throws the prince on her back and is like, all right, I'll take him. Bye. Yeah. Historically accurate story, apparently. And, and then, and then they're like, okay, we're fucking, we're, okay. You, you Game, recognize game. Come like, party with us. When you come party with us. And this is where they make out hardcore at this, at this cookout that they're at. After playing uh, rock, paper, scissors, the most romantic of games. Oh my God. They were playing that shit for seven hours. Yeah. We it's just we just recently rewatched or uh, I showed Lauren for the first time uh, Marie Antoinette from 2006, mm-hmm. uh, which unfortunately I cannot be my recommendation because it's too old. Yeah. But the thing that that movie I think highlights in such a fun way is how just fucking boring so many things <laughs> in this time period were. It was so like true. you just had to kill time doing anything. <laughs> that when I saw them playing rock paper scissors, I was like, how long have they been playing rock? Fa- they, this is probably hour three of rock paper scissors. They're like doing a hybrid rock, paper, scissors, truth or dare situation. Yeah, they're like rock, paper, scissors, shoot. <laughs> so I think I'm afraid of falling most. And uh, <laughs> it's like, what the hell is Because if you lose the game of rock, paper, scissors, you have to tell a truth. Yeah, I guess. It's not like any game of rock, paper, scissors I ever it's played. Whatever. It's just they're looking for an excuse to kiss. 
And they do. And it's great. Um, we gotta talk about the scene where he almost gets married to the princess of Spain. Oh my god. This is the funniest scene Maybe in my favorite scene. In the, I keep saying that every scene, I'm like, that's my favorite scene. But I really do appreciate... Okay, so Henry is... After he kind of forsakes her at the... Uh, he's like, no! I want to marry somebody who's like me now! <laughs> and uh, I'm a big baby! <laughs> my name is Henry! <laughs> and Leonardo da Vinci's like, you're a fucking bitch. He's like, fuck you, Leonardo da Vinci! Nobody's gonna remember you! <laughs> I'm big baby. Everyone will remember me, Prince Henry. <laughs> I'm Prince Henry. So he's going to marry the princess of Spain. Um, and this woman is sobbing. Holy shit. Like legit. What a performance. Wailing. She is keening. She does not want to marry this man. She's miserable every step of the way. And like the truly like the vocal technique, it is like high pitched squeaks. It is low wails. It is like staccato, legato. She is the like truly traveling the entire spectrum of the human experience uh, in one person. To the extent that he that Henry's just like, you know what? You're right. This is fucked up. We shouldn't do this. The actress's name is Ursula Jones. Good for her. She's wonderful. Awesome. And yeah, Henry and Henry's just like, this is fucking stupid. We both obviously don't want to do this. Do you want to fucking go? And she runs back to her like the the Spanish dude that she loves, who's also weeping, and they get a happy ending too. That was her dad. Was it? No. That was her dad and her mom. No, that was not her dad. Her dad and her mom are the king and queen, and they were on the opposite side of the room. Oh, I don't think that that's right. That's not true. That's the guy that she's in love with. Lauren, I watched this movie one time for the first time in 23 years. I get who is... Her parents are the ones that are fighting after she runs off, and the king and queen of France are like, wouldn't want to be those two, am I right? Whoppers on me. She literally starts kissing that man. Yeah, and it's her dad, and it's weird. That is not her dad! (laughs) Um, Should we go into some triv? Yeah, I would love some trip. So I could not find a ton of extra trivia aside from the moments that we already pointed out that mm-hmm. were um, a lot of a lot of painstaking effort was put by Susanna Grant to ground this movie in as much historical accuracy as possible. So there are mm-hmm. a lot of um, historically accurate stories fr- throughout history that were that made this up. Mm-hmm. Um. The painting of Da Vinci's that kind of like nests this story mm-hmm. is obviously not based on uh, Drew Barrymore's character, but apparently, <laughs> but what, that's not Drew Barrymore. <laughs> well, but was apparently um, a the the inspiration for Cinderella mm. is who that that painting was based. Interesting. Off of. It's La Spagliata, I think, is the name of the painting. Yeah, I will um, say that I think that Drew Barrymore and a lot of the casting in this movie, like the the like the faces, they the look, faces, they don't look that contemporary yeah it's not this like contemporary beauty it is those like they look like the paintings of the time Mm -hmm. like that i i understand like it was it's good casting especially with that painting you're 15th century hot you know like you know when somebody tells you that and you're just like thanks and then you watch ever after and you're like thanks yeah (laughs) usually you're like what that means like that means i got a belly right Someone's like, oh, you'd be great in Renaissance paintings. And I'm like, why? Because I would fucking decapitate someone? What do you mean? Because I'd be good next to a still life of some fruit? Fuck you. Because I gotta... (laughs) 
because I got a good stink eye? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> <What> the fuck? <laughs> so I can look at you like I'm vaguely thinking you smell bad? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> you have the patience of someone that could stand around for 15 days to get painted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that was pretty much all I could find. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes rating, any idea? Oh, man, I have no clue on older movies that are, like, not... Because I don't know, like, cause I feel like also this could have, like, 12 reviews yeah, on Rotten like, Tomatoes. Well, but also it's like, do you think this movie was critically well-received? I think it was... Hmm, I would say maybe... Oh, God, I'm going to be so embarrassed if it's, like, really low. I'm going to say, like, probably, like, 60s, 70s. 91% on Yay! Rotten Tomatoes. So pleasantly surprised. Certified fresh. Oh, so pleasantly Roger surprised. Ebert, three stars. Yep. Mm. Good good reviews all around. All right, Raj. Um, budget, you want to guess? Ooh, um, okay. Oh, God. 90s. Um, 35 million. Wow, not bad. 26. Okay, I was closer than usual. Closer than usual. You want to know how much it made? Um, hmm. 45? 98. Oh, shit. This movie was a hit. Damn, I'm so pleasantly surprised. Critical commercial hit. Oh, that's great. Pretty solid all around. Um, and obviously the, uh, the last big bit of information that we should talk about, which you know a lot more than I do, is that in 2015, a musical of Ever After... Yes. Came into the world. I don't know much about it. I've seen one YouTube clip of one of the songs and I was not impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It premiered at the Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey. And I gotta say, the production photos look cheap. Um, It doesn't look good. I do love Sierra Boggess. I do not think she is the right actress for this role. DM Lauren at Lauren Grace Thompson mm-hmm. to talk to her about how much she hates Sierra Boggess. I just, and I, I don't know, I love Sierra Boggess. I just don't think she's the right casting for this. I didn't like that clip. I think the production design makes it look weirdly like something rotten, which is kind of supposed to look a little fake and like glitzy, where I'm just like, it does, like everything's too bright. There's too many bright colors. It looks like it's like everything's just not lived in. Hmm. I don't know. It's that musical theater sheen on everything that I'm just like, you seem fake. I feel like you're going to take the soul out of it. I, I, I feel like, I feel like it's like weirdly. I feel like even though we're in a more political time that I feel like what I've seen feels like they're going to take a lot of the like political stuff out of it and just make it more like rom com I think that's probably right. I was actually thinking before going into this, like, yeah, it makes sense that this would be a musical now. Mm-hmm. And then after watching it, I'm like, but I think it works so much better as a movie. Yeah, 100%. Like. W- I see the temptation, but I also it was like, I was watching it. I was like, I understand why you would think this is a good idea. But I also see why it's a bad idea. Well, because I think the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella, like Cinderella is a musical. It's, it yeah. is fantastical. Those fantastical elements lend to the, uh, um suspended disbelief that I need in order to really go into a musical a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. I, you know, hyper-realistic musicals are not for everyone. Mm -hmm. There are a few of them that I really like, but they are, uh, like, I think on the whole, not for everyone. Hyper-realistic historical musical? I mean, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'll go see any... Like, I'll go see any piece of theater. Mm -hmm. I'll go see anything, but... 
I will admit that I would be going into this a little less excited than I would going into, like, a production of Roger's Hammerstein Cinderella. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I'm like, I'd rather watch the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's like, well, yeah, I can see these beautiful landscapes that they have. Mm-hmm. And, like, because they obviously filmed this in the French countryside. And, like, mm-hmm. it looks great it's still. Yeah, but this particular genre, I just don't think lends itself well two musicals like no. it's really tricky it needs to be I, th- I think like the contemporary ones are the ones that have gone the best and like the ones that are a little more heightened like stuff like soap dish like i would have loved to see a soap dish musical or like an easy a musical yeah. or something like that like, that's like a little more contemporary if we're gonna have to make movies and music first of all we should stop making movies into musicals mm-hmm. but if we're going to mm-hmm. like yeah something that that lends itself a little bit more, i don't i just don't know not this. I also never saw, like, the Titanic musical, but... Yeah, like, I mean, I even saw, like, I think the closest that we've had... The Queen's in terms Gambit of, like, musical? Like, who gives a shit? Stop! I think the closest we've had to, like, a successful version of this is the, like, Shakespeare in Love play. Yeah, but that was a play! That's a play with music. Which I think is probably the closest you can get. I think is a play with music for this. I mean, I think I understand. I look at all of that's the, just like, a diet musical. What are you talking about? Play the, with the, music. Like, here's the thing. I look at like the track listing on it, and I'm like, makes sense. That's where you put the act break. Like I understand, but I'm not excited to see it because I'm just like, you're not. I, I just feel like the soul's taken out of it. You're gonna take like the like the because the the, 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 the the song that I saw was like one not catchy, and two it was just like. Cool, you're just taking, like, a line of dialogue and just fucking doing that for three minutes. When it's, like, in the movie, it's like, yeah, we moved past that two minutes ago. We're into the next thing. Keep moving. It's just, like, and I feel like that's such a case with, like, movies turned into musicals where it's, like, they do not know how to keep shit moving through the song. They just lock on to, like, one famous line from the movie and they're like we can do that for three minutes it's just like a weird encore before you've even ended the show i'm doing an encore within the song stop doing that wesley brings the house down with his rendition of as you wish and it's like we're 10 minutes in we have to stop (laughs) we have to get to the story um that's yeah that's pretty much all my mini rant it's useless like i'm uh, it's useless we should stop Quit before we're ahead. Just stop. Um, I love this film. Please don't ruin it. <laughs> That's how I feel about every movie that just I love where don't. I'm just kind of like, don't ruin this by being... That's why what you got to do is start to like movies that were based on musicals that then just got turned into movies. Like, like The Birdcage. Yeah. Which <laughs> where is I'm great. like, it, this is a perfect movie based on a really great stage play. Musical. Yeah. Musical. Yeah. yeah. Um. Awesome. Let's, uh, I guess let's get into recommendations. In yeah. 2021, do you recommend Ever After, colon, A Cinderella Story? Me? Yeah. Yes. Ooh. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking shocker. I love this film. Um, I think it's great. It's not a perfect film by any means, but I think that it, like, considering the other stuff we had around the time, I think it holds up much better than I was, than, like, you, than most movies do. I would a hundred percent rather show this movie to a classroom of students Mm -hmm. than maybe any other version of Cinderella barring the Brandy version that we've done on this podcast. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think that this movie is uh, like, I'm here another episode of not another film podcast where I, Ian am admitting, Hey, I was wrong. 
this movie is very is is a very very well made film uh for what it is trying to do it is it knows what movie it is it goes about it in a really intelligent way the acting is great pretty much across the board uh it's a cool movie i dig it i really dig it mm-hmm. uh now like we always do at this time is there a modern analog to ever after this is so tricky this was tricky because we truly don't make movies like this anymore yeah Marie Antoinette um, was my was mine, but it was mm-hmm. 2006. I have another one. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, you truly don't make movies like this anymore. And I think that that's because I think the genre has moved to TV. I think um, the two examples that I'm thinking of are one that I really love and one that I think is very, very flawed, but I think is, is also like doing a similar thing. Um, the, the one that I think is pretty flawed is Bridgerton. Which I think has so much room for improvement. But Lauren, they're so I know, they're sexy. so hot. But in terms of, like, a period piece that is, that is like, also bringing on, like, social themes of present day. Um, you mean, like, boxing etiquette? Yeah, absolutely. And hotness. Yeah. I mean, hotness is big right now. That's another, that's, that's another piece of entertainment where two people argue for a long time, kind of over nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, see, that Bridgerton is the one that I have where it's like, but we already did it. They got married. What are we doing the next four episodes? You're in love. Shut the fuck up. Hot, like, hot take. That's a three-episode season that goes on for eight episodes. Bridgerton, it's like, cool, you got married. Go, go to therapy. Just go fucking be happy, please. <laughs> we know you're going to have a baby. Like, fuck you. Um, got spoilers for Bridgerton. Did you see the trailer? You're spoiled. <laughs> Um, and then the one that I, that I really loved, this is an early quarantine binge watch for me, um, was, uh, the Hulu show The Great. Um. Fuck yeah. The better Bridgerton. Yeah. Which, well, not very, doing, doing very different things. Um, but I think also is a period piece with modern sensibilities and, like, social themes that also has a, like, a female protagonist that is, that is attempting to rescue herself and that is, like, very much about, um her first and that is about a an active female protagonist in a like male dominated uh period piece um and is just like insanely watchable insanely quotable really fun has great like modern music drops um and is anchored by some really incredible performances um that's the great on hulu fucking huzzah Huzzah! I love the great. It is so good. Um, mine. I, I don't remember if I've recommended this or not, but again, I'm just gonna shout it out from the rooftops because if you haven't seen it, you need to. Another literary adaptation in the last couple of years, Little Women. Yeah. Hey, folks. Have Have you heard of the, <laughs> the novel Little Women? Mm-hmm. Have you heard of the patron saint of cinema, Greta Gerwig, mm-hmm. one of my personal heroes, mm-hmm. who has made two of my favorite movies ever, mm-hmm. uh, 2017's Lady Bird and 2019's Little Women. Uh, again, finding new life in a piece of literature that has been adapted countless times. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly difficult. I think it is one of the best adaptations of anything I've ever seen in my life. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant script that is only improved upon by how well it's directed and how immaculately it's cast and performed. And is doing also doing some really interesting metatextual stuff with the uh, original story in the same way that it feels like a kind of natural evolution from whatever after started to do. Yeah. Um, in a really, really, really cool way. 
Um, I want to throw in just like one bonus recommendation um, for another literary adaptation that I really loved. Um, Personal History of David Copperfield. Yeah. Um, which I also think is a, is a really, really cool twist on the original um, with just an incredible cast of characters um, and actors. Uh, and it's just like incredibly beautiful and fun to look at. Totally. Uh, filled with really funny performances and just like clips along really beautifully. And it's just like a really solid hang. Yeah. And features my number one crush in the world. Dev Patel. Holy shit, And man. my boy, Ben Wishaw. <laughs> Paddington Bear himself giving a legendary performance. Yeah, playing a right scoundrel. Yeah. Um, awesome. Lauren, talk to us about Act 3 of The Vanishing Act. Uh, the Vanishing Act, our scripted show, is coming back in June. What? Next month. Um, we're very excited. We've, um, we've just heard some of the... Uh, some of the final cuts of the episodes that are coming, and we are very excited. Um, there's, you know, we're in the tail, we're in the tail end of our season, so basically everything is payoff at this point, and we're, we've been just been really excited for this stuff to come. Uh, I'll just be here already. Um, you can listen to all the first eight episodes anywhere yeah. that you get podcasts. Where you're listening to podcasts right now, just go yeah. and download The Vanishing Act. Yeah, you can binge listen to it. It's a completely different thing than this, but it has a lot of the people who have guested on this show. Um, we should have a trailer out for the third act, maybe in the next couple days, depending on when you're listening to this. Maybe it's already out. Um, but if this episode's been out longer than a week, it's, it's there. Go listen to it. Um, you can check us out on vanishingpod.com or at vanishingpod on all social medias. Yes. I want to thank Nicole once again for recommending us do this movie. Thank you very much. You reintroduced a movie into my life. That I did not appreciate the first time I saw it, and I very much do appreciate it now. Uh, and happy birthday. Happy birthday! Uh, thank you very much for listening, folks. As always, if you have a review that you would like to leave for us, five stars, no less, uh, I will read it on this podcast. I do not care. I'll do yeah. it. I'll, I'll do it. I will. He will. He has no shame. Yeah. Not so keen on conspiracies aside. <laughs> I will I will read whatever you, you post. Um... <laughs> Uh, please check us out at not another film podcast on Instagram, uh, at film another on Twitter. You can send us an email at not another film podcast at gmail.com. If you have recommendations for movies that you would like us to do on this podcast and please, as always, even though, uh, we are all hopefully, hopefully getting vaccinated, please remember to be safe, wear masks if you can and, uh, wash those dirty little fingies so that we can all hug wash each them. other and be in person, uh, again soon. Love you all. Bye. Bye.